morning. Great worship. We um, had an awesome week this week. Uh, Talitha and I got to go to a conference in Dallas that we try to do every year. It's called the Right Now Conference. It was really, really phenomenal. Uh, and just, just more of, of God doing what God does, just confirming uh, where we are as a church and where we're going. Uh, it's just always good to kind of get a, a breath of fresh air, you know, to get out of this environment and not this environment this environment and go over there and be able to you know see guys and experience uh, families and pastors and ministers who are all in the same uh, the same mind so it's encouraging I was encouraged this week but also very specifically God spoke to uh, and, and and cleared up for me uh, not only um, that we are starting the right series or the right we're in the right part of the vision that God has for us and the time is now because I've been I always struggle with that you know as a pastor it's my my role as pastor this this pastor's role we have other pastors but my my role uh as pastor is I'm pastor of vision and teaching and preaching here so uh so vision is big to me uh and so God gave me a vision a long time ago that we would have a three-part vision uh, or he gave it to me in three parts, and and I'm always wondering, okay, God, when do we go into the next one? And God's been faithful in all three parts of the vision to to reveal uh, that now's the time, and then to confirm it multiple times because He knows how I am about that. It's the, definitely the place where I feel the weakest. And so when we're weak, though, where we're weak, He's what? He's strong, right? Everybody awake this morning? Where we're weak, He's what? Okay, because that was weak. But he was strong. Um, so, so anyway, one of the things that I, I read through uh, most of the New Testament <laughs> this week, early in the week, first two two days of the week, I really just just seeking the Lord God. Where, where do we go in Scripture to begin to to work on this next uh, part of the vision? So, one of the books that I read was Colossians. I was really moved by some of the content of Colossians, but I didn't really land there. Um, I landed in some other places, and then when I went to the conference, God confirmed that. Colossians is where we need to be at least this morning and so uh, I don't know if we're going to do a a book study of Colossians but we're definitely going to walk through the first chapter of Colossians because it definitely definitely clearly you will see that it applies to us all right now say us I know we have visitors we have a number of people here for here for the first time some of you've been checking in checking us out also for a number of weeks and so uh, I'm including you in that for today so this is for you today you're not here by accident god has a word for you uh, and it'll also give you a kind of a picture of what our church is about and where we are and kind of who we are we're we're uh we're way deeper than we look right <laughs> our people are laughing the guests are not okay so that's it's all good <clears throat> so anyway we're going to start in colossians let me just start by saying this which is really cool uh, when I was studying Colossians, uh, just some of the some of the background and and the uh, the the reason and purpose behind the book of Colossians speaks to us. Uh, Paul wrote to the church of Colossae particularly to fortify their uh, to fortify them against false teachers. Now, the false teachers specifically were trying to impose strict rules about eating and drinking. And religious festivals, okay, which we're going to bring to us in just a minute. 
And, uh, and so Paul was, was, was saying, man, we need to see the superiority of the person of Jesus Christ above that. All right, so lots of things going on in the book of Colossians, but that's the major focus that Paul takes in this letter. He is talking to Colossae to strengthen them against all of the religious rules and regulations that have been, uh, that, that people are trying to continue to enforce. The old law that has now been done away with, right, are fulfilled in Christ, but we are dead to the law now, according to the scripture. And they're still trying to enforce that in addition to the grace of God. And so for us, and we have been fortified. God has, has given us a number of years, most of us, and some of us recently, but quickly. God has been fortifying you. Y'all with me? Say, oh, yeah. Okay, God has been fortifying you against religious traditionalists in this culture, in our town, in central Louisiana, who have, who are trying to perpetuate this culture of strict rules regarding <clears throat> all aspects of life. Uh, God has given us that. Amen? He's given us victory, right? He's given us strength to, to say, you can stand in my grace alone, and it's enough. That you don't have to do anything anymore. You don't have to follow these strict rules and regulations in order to be okay with God. Through Christ, we've already been made right with God, and his righteousness has been imputed to us. That's the grace of God, beyond salvation. And God gives us that, man. How awesome is that? And, it, and, and if Paul were, were writing this letter to us, and I believe he is by God's design, he's also writing this letter to us. We need to recognize that we've been fortified against this culture that we live in. Talitha and I had a great time in Dallas with a bunch of like-minded people who have been fortified against legalism. And it's a beautiful thing. So we can say, this is us, right? This letter can be to us because we're just like the church of Colossae in that way. We've also learned that the person of Christ is superior in every way to that kind of life, right? We're, and we're continuing to discover the beauty of who Christ is. Y'all, everybody awake today? I mean, it's okay. I, I know y'all are here, and I know nobody's sleeping. I don't see anybody sleeping anyway. Uh, but, man, I just want to say, hey, look. This is vision today, okay? So I need you guys to be engaged. Y'all, y'all willing to commit to that? Do what you got to do physically. If you got to stand in the back of the room, go get some more coffee. Uh, do what you got to do because it's not about us looking good today, all right? Everybody good with that? All right, so engage. Man, we have learned. I just feel like there should be some excitement here. I mean, I'm not excited enough, all right? I, I, I'm really jumping up and down on the inside, okay? I'm like the happy person inside the mind of that, movie that just what was that yeah inside out i'm that that girl but on the outside it's not so much and maybe you're that way too okay so but we've learned that the person of christ is superior in every way to the kind of life that this culture is trying to press us into trying to help trying to make us maintain we've learned that and so we we're just like them we know god by experience and that's caused us to easily release that that legalistic religion that we all held on to and the legalistic religion of our culture that people are trying to press in on us, right? All right. Consequently, we have fallen more deeply in love with God as a result of it. And I look around this room and I, and, and, and I just see, I see freshness, first of all. 
which keeps my heart fresh to see what God is doing in, in like our new members, you know, 16 new members. I look around here and I see them and I see the freshness of what God is doing in their life. And it excites me to see that they're falling more deeply in love with God as a result of this truth that we've been strengthened to understand that the grace of God covers us and nobody can press that onto us anymore, that legalism onto us. So knowing God by experience has caused us to release it, but and we're continuing, obviously, to discover God in our experiences and, uh, and know and discover the character of Jesus uh, as, as is described in Scripture. So now we're about to enter into the final phase of, of this three-phase vision that God has given us. And I say the final phase, phase, none of these ends, they continue. This is who we are, okay? And we're going to do some work on DNA, great conferences on DNA this past week that communicated and I connected with that God has for us. But we all need to understand these three portions of our vision, okay? Ready? Number one is our core group work, which we did. We finished in June pretty much. Uh, I say finished, the, the beginning of that. Again, this continues. We're continuing to work with the core group because you're here, right? So you are part of the core group. We're working, continuing to work. But that core group work was finding out what are we about, what's our distinctives, and we're going to do more work to try and keep that before us. Before us. We're going to work together to keep it before ourselves. Uh, so we'll remember what we're about. Uh, and then adding to the core, which God started all by himself, remember, when we were over in the little building, and God started bringing people in that we didn't know. And he's continuing to do that. God brings folks in that, that, you know, we talk about God. And we obviously we encounter people, but God's bringing them in. And people that are like-minded. And he's going to continue to do that. That doesn't end today, okay? But we are starting today the third phase of the vision, which I think is ultimately going to be what this church is. And that is reaching the lost. My prayer is that this is going to consume us. That like this week, man, when we got at this conference, I was not expecting it to be all about that, but it was all about that. It was all about reaching the lost, but doing it within our DNA. Doing it within this, this calling that we have to, to be this kind of church, that this church like Colossae. So it doesn't mean that we're leaving a life of discovering God behind. We are continuing to discover God, and that is the fuel that's going to... That's going to uh, fuel (laughs) that's what's going to fuel our evangelistic effort it's going to be what we continue to discover about god it's going to be fresh new understandings about who god is so one of the things we we will have to learn is that the dichotomy that we have been taught to believe between pursuing god and evangelism is not a biblical dichotomy and in many ways, it's the cause of our problem in evangelism. We've always talked about pursuing God is what we do in church. It's what we do alone. Everybody still with me? That's discipleship. We pursue God. And then we also, we have to do some do evangelism, right? And there's, they, we have separated that for years. Uh, we do it in our convention. Just, you know, we have the evangelism department, and we have a discipleship department. Always have. We separate those things out like they're two entities. They're not. One flows into the other. And what God has been doing in this church needs to flow into evangelism. Paul brings that out in the book of Colossians. So let's look at it today, okay? All right, here we go. Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. We'll skip the introduction to the book. 
and move into the content. Uh, and uh, Paul begins this way in, chapter, in verse 3. He says, We always thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before, uh, before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world uh, is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned, learned it from Epaphras, our beloved uh, fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to you, uh, to us, your love in the Spirit. So Paul is rejoicing. He's rejoicing over these three things. First of all, their faith in Christ. All right? An increasing faith. They have a faith in Christ uh, that's, that's legit. They're not, they're not putting their faith anymore in their ability to, to reach some standard or be good or whatever it is to impress God. They have put their faith in Christ, the finished work of Jesus on the cross, which he'll talk about in just a minute. But he's celebrating that. Man, I'm hearing about your faith in Christ, and it excites me, right? Man, that excites me. When I hear stories and see you and, and, and listen to you talk about what God is doing in your life and how your faith in Christ is increasing, or I hear about you from somebody else, man, that encourages me as, as your pastor. Uh, second, he says, he's hearing about and rejoicing over their love for all the saints. Uh, man, it's the hardest thing for me to leave a life group and let it function on its own. You know, when we start a life group and then pull out or we go in to reinforce one, we pull out, you know, like we have with the Felters recently. It's so hard for us to pull out, but it's so exciting for me when I meet with some of the people in the life group during the week and I hear them say, man, God did a phenomenal thing. This happened in the context of life group. I love that. You know, it's the love and the, the intimacy that's going on within the, t- the connection, the, the uh, context of that group. That excites me, man. And God's doing that in this body. He's drawing us together. We have sincere love for one another. Now, we're not here because we have to be. This church is not full of people that are not connected with one another. Uh, some of you aren't connected yet. You will be if you want to be and probably if you don't want to be. You know, people are going to probably try to connect you because... God is doing something in our hearts that's causing us to love each other differently than we ever have before. Legalism doesn't cause you to love people. It causes you to judge people. When Christ comes in and you begin to see him for who he is, man, it just totally transforms the way you see other people. You begin to love people. So he was excited about that. And then he was excited that those two things were increasing, he says. These things are increasing in you. Um, And they've been increasing in us. He says they were increasing in them since this day. Listen. He says since the day that you understood the grace of God in truth. All right. Some of you are having a grace discovery right now for the first time over the past few weeks. Man, you discover the grace of God in the truth about the grace of God. It literally transforms your life. It, it causes this never-ending, increasing uh, faith in God and an increasing love for others. That's what happens when you discover and understand the grace of God and truth. And when he says in truth here, the word literally, it says, uh, this is the definition. In, in the Greek, this is what it means. It's aletheia. It says, it is a full or real state of affairs. As in judicial language, the aletheia for 
uh, is the actual state of affairs to be maintained against different statements. So historians use it uh, to denote real events as distinct from myths and philosophers to indicate real being in the state of ab- the absolute sense. You know, and I was trying to think about that. What's the difference? We think about truth and, and aletheia truth. Here's the difference. For me, it's, first of all, radically different. I used to understand things about God that were given to me by people. But now I know God for myself. I know the truth about God, and nobody can take it away from me because I've experienced him in my life. Right, I thought about the O.J. Simpson trials, which may be, I know everybody knows about them. You've heard about them, right? Uh, right? Okay. But most of you are probably too young to have watched them. Um, maybe weren't even born yet. I don't remember when it happened, honestly. That seems like it was yesterday for me. But this was like one of the first trials ever to be televised on TV. You know, I never used to do that. Uh, but they, every, every time they entered the courtroom, you could see it live on TV, on C-SPAN or whatever it was. And I was fascinated by that, and I'm watching this thing unfold. And uh, we would watch a couple days of it, and, you know, the turn of events would happen. The glove shows up, you know, and, it, and he puts it on, and it doesn't fit. And, he's, you know, he's going like, see, it doesn't fit. But anyway, so we, so we look at it. We look at how he did it. You know, O.J. put it on. I can't. It doesn't fit. See? And then we talk. You know, we go, I'm drinking coffee with somebody, and we're, everybody's talking about it. So what did you think about the glove? I think he's guilty. Man, I don't think so, man. I think he's not guilty. And then ultimately, you know, after this trial ends, and it was literally day after day after day, they finally got tired of it. Please, just come to a conclusion, okay? I don't care if he's guilty or, or not. Just get this off the TV. Uh, but we all came to our own conclusions about whether he was guilty or not. And then the jury decided, made a decision. That was not truth. I don't care if he was guilty or not guilty. Now, they, they said he was not guilty. That doesn't mean it's true, right? Just because people said, you know, based on the evidence and the things that they saw, this is probably true. That's what historians do to some degree. But who's the only one that really knows the truth? Who's the only one that really lived to tell the truth? O.J. Simpson. (laughs) He's the only one that really knows the truth, right? There might be some others that know, but they're not here to talk about it. Uh, For those of you that don't know, he killed a couple people, okay? Or somebody killed a couple people. Or they killed themselves, who knows? But O.J. knows. O.J. was there. Okay, O.J. knows the truth because O.J. experienced it. Now, he might deny it. He might accept it. He might be dealing with it. He might not be dealing with it. But nobody else knows the truth except O.J. because he's the only one that's alive that experienced it. Everybody get that? That's the difference. Paul says to the church of Colossae, you have an increasing faith in God and an increasing love for one another because you have an understanding of the truth about the grace of God. Okay, don't sell that short. If you, don't, if you don't understand the truth about the grace of God, all the truth, that is, in your experience, that you're not experiencing today, uh, the freedom that comes from knowing that God does, God does not demand anything from you in order to be accepted by him, but Jesus already made that totally right before you and God, and all it's required is for you to, to receive a free gift of salvation in Christ. If you haven't come to that understanding, man, understand that today. 
They did. And it was causing their, their love for God and their faith in God and their love for each other to increase. <clears throat> so that's them. I think that's us. Not, not all of us. We're not at all the same place. But I think as a body, I think God has done that work in this body. Well, that's us. We're the church of Colossae in that way. Uh, so Paul says that that church understood the grace of God and it was increasing. Their understanding and love for God and faith in God, love for each other was increasing. So we have as well. Paul uh, then talks about his prayers for their understanding of the person of God and for that to continue to increase. Now this is going to be familiar to you. I'm going to tell you ahead of time. This better be familiar to you. <laughs> Not necessarily the passage, but this idea. Look at what Paul prays for in Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. Paul is saying it's not enough that you've already done that. It, now it's increasing. And so I'm praying for you that it will continue to increase. And here's how it happens. Paul says this. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual uh, wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing at the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened in all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All right, does everybody see it? Let's look at it this way. All right, look at this. Look at uh, this slide and see if it brings back, brings it back to remembrance. Right, Paul prayed for us to abide. That's what he was praying, because an increase, an increase in the knowledge of God, is an understanding, an ongoing understanding and discovery of the grace of God, as He reveals Himself to us. Paul, that Paul said, praise this. He says that, uh, that's not it. Sorry. Okay, take that one down. That's Peter. I put the wrong one in there. All right, this was early this morning. So here's what Paul prays. He says, first of all, be, that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Paul wants us to continue to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Why is that? He says, because, so that we may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Right? So we get to know his will, and there's a reason for it. It's because God wants us to walk in his will. He wants us to know his will so we will walk in it. Why does he want that? He says, so that you will bear fruit of every kind. So now we're going to start seeing the effects of God, God-exclusive activity in our lives. God does stuff because we understand his will, we obey what he says, then God starts doing stuff that only God can do in our lives. And we continue to to uh, see that work in us. That's fruit. And then he says, uh, so that you will increase in the knowledge of God. Ultimately, this is, this is what Paul is praying for. Summed up so far what we said. Here it is. Paul says, man, I've seen you, church. You guys have released that dead religion, and you're embracing the, the, the reality of who Christ is, and, you, and it's changing you. It's changing you. So I'm, I'm warning you, when people try to put more religion on you, don't take it. He says, instead, here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing that as you, because you understood the grace of God in truth, man, you are increasing in your knowledge of God. 
Because you know God accepts you. You know that God's trying to give you his will, and you know that when he gives it to you, he's doing it for a good reason. And God is revealing more about himself to you. And so I'm going to pray for you, and here's how I'm going to pray for you, that God will keep revealing his will to you, that you will keep obeying what he says, that, you will keep, that he will keep doing, bearing fruit through your life so that you will keep gaining knowledge about God, a deeper and deeper knowledge about God. It's the abiding cycle. So Paul's praying for that. He's praying that we will abide, all right, that we will continue to abide. That's us. There are so many of us now, and I, and I thank God for this, that, that one of the things that has purified as we've gotten smaller and we've done core group work is we all understand this cycle. We all understand that our deepening of knowledge of God is, what, uh, is how God gives us uh, this love, deeper love and deeper faith for him. It's just by showing us what his will is, and we obey it. We, I mean, not, it's not always easy. There's a faith challenge always. It's because the wisdom of God is always more, is deeper than ours. But God tells us what to do. We struggle with it. We obey. And then God just opens up this door and shows us who he is. And that's what's causing us to change. So Paul goes on to list some of those characteristics in the next few verses that, he's, that they've discovered, that he's learned by uh, the awesome grace of God. It's almost like Paul has been with us over the last 16 weeks looking at the characteristics of God. You know, we've been talking about the attributes of God. It's almost like Paul has been in, in this auditorium with us for 16 weeks and like he was with us last week. And here's what Paul said in response to, in worship to God from what he's discovered. Look what he says in verse 15. He said, I'm praying for you guys that you'll keep discovering God because he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, okay. So here's what we all have discovered about God, and he gives this big old list of things, right? Which is where we've been. God's taken us through the same journey. We gave up, with the, we gave up on the legalism. We, we bought into Jesus and getting to know him by experience. We started obeying him and discovering more about him as he works in our lives and it's becoming a real truth to us. We're seeing the truth of God's grace working in our lives. It's not just intellectual. And he says, now, and now look at all the things that you're discovering about God. And he gives this big list. And then he says, and you're standing in total dependence upon God's grace, not in your own goodness. Look at verse 21. And you who are also, uh, who are alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of his flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, here's what he's not saying, and here's what he is saying. He's not saying that we've been uh, reconciled, in our body, in, 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 reconciled to God through Christ's death on the cross. And then also, we have to do good works. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying 
if you have genuinely had this encounter with God and you've given up on your goodness and you've given up on the rules and regulations and trying to please men and trying to follow their rules and regulations about eating and drinking, whatever else they have, if you've really done that, then you're going to continue to walk in that gospel. I can't tell you how many times I've said and I've heard you say, I can't go back. There's no way. I'm not going back to that mess. I'm not going back to this list of rules to follow. Here's the things you can do. Here's the things you can't do. Keep the list. Everything's going to be good with you and God. And you never know God. We're not going back there. Right? Say, oh, yeah. We're not. We're not going back. We made that decision. And so he's talking about us. We are those people. But there were some who never really gave their their lives to, to Christ. They were still trying to follow the Judaism and also follow, you know, claim to know Jesus and follow the rules, but also walk with Jesus. And they started teaching that that was the way you're supposed to live. And so Paul's saying, no. If you're doing that, you, haven't, you don't know Jesus. You don't know the grace of God in truth. If you're still trying to be right with God by following a list of rules. Okay, he's, he's encouraging them, man, give up on the list of rules. Just follow God by asking what his will is. Let him reveal that to you through his word. His word is still true to us, but it's not a list of rules. It is alive. It's living and active. God's word speaks to us. It speaks truth to our situations. It tells us what to do, and we get to encounter God when we do it. And so those who have not had that experience and are still live, trying to live a righteous life by their own doing, be good enough, they don't know God. So he says, if. That if is tied to that. If we have had that encounter, then we're walking with God. So Paul tells us uh, that if we're standing in dependence upon the grace of God and not on our dependence upon our own goodness, then we're in good shape. All right, but then he tells us this. And here's where I want us to close out, and this is our entrance. Okay, now I've just told you where you were. Okay, now I'm going to tell you where we're going. Y'all ready? Say, oh, yeah. Everybody sit up in your spirit. Okay, I don't care what you do physically, but, man, don't miss this. Here we go. Third part of the vision. Paul tells us a secret to getting the message about the reality of God to the world. He's telling us how. He's about to tell us how to get the, He calls it a mystery, mysterium. This, this, uh, this mystery that's hidden from people has now been revealed. And, and the mystery is this, that how do we get this message to the world about who God is and the freedom that we have in Christ? How do we... This is a huge thing for us right now. How do we impact this community and help them to realize that regardless of what we all grew up with and how we've all felt about what we're supposed to do in order to be right with God, this mystery is sitting here waiting for us. Paul is about to give it to us. How do we get this to the world? What's the mystery? It seems to be a mystery, uh, but it's really not. We understand it. It's clear in the word of God. And Paul's going to describe, describe to us. Um, to say it's a mystery is to deny what we see around us. Uh, or to say it isn't a mystery is to deny what we see around us. There's churches that continue to walk uh, in this plateaued or declining state. To say that, that, that this, this is not a mystery to people is to, that just because there are lots of churches filled with people uh, I say filled with people, lots of churches that now are beginning to decline 
uh, are either plateaued or declining. Uh, so to understand the mystery is going to help us to make sense of everything else. Uh, there was an illustration that was given this weekend. I want to I want to just ask you to do this with me, okay? I'm fixing to list some characteristics, uh, and I just want you to to just uh, see if this touches you, if it makes sense to you, okay? And be be realistic and honest about it, okay? I'm just going to give you a number of different statements that are that are meaningful. They're meaningful statements. Okay, here you go. Ready? It's a relief to have a blue background. Sometimes running faster leads to greater success. Beginners often crash and burn. You cannot be paranoid about being followed if you're going to find success. There's exceedingly more enjoyment apart from the tangled masses. A rock is helpful when you're ready to rest. Oh, the potential that lies dormant in a little bit of paper used to its fullest. Now, how many of you, does that, did that really touch you? Okay. Y'all are very deep people. All right, the problem with, that, with those statements are not that they're not true and not that they're not meaningful. They are. These are meaningful statements. The problem is that we don't know the secret. We don't know the mystery that's behind those statements. We don't know the subject of the statements. And so these statements don't mean anything to us. I, that, that, to me, describes what we've been like, most of us, most of our lives, and what this, this community needs to hear. Because they know statements, they make statements, they're meaningful statements, they're true statements, they come out of Scripture. They're real statements that talk about a real God who's alive and wants to move and work in their lives. All of us have said these same kinds of statements all of our lives, but the subject of the statement doesn't make sense. We don't know the subject. The subject is a kite. All right? It's a kite. Let me read the, these statements again and ask you the question. Sometimes running faster leads to greater success. It is a relief to have a blue background. Beginners often crash and burn. You cannot be paranoid about being followed if you're going to find success. A rock is, ha- is helpful when you're ready to rest. There's exceedingly more enjoyment apart from the tangled masses. Oh, the potential that lies dormant in a little bit of paper used to its fullest. All right? Now, how many of you found the meaning? Okay. The difference between the first, uh, I read the same meaningful statements. The difference between the first and the last is one thing. You know the subject. Paul is trying to tell us Christ is the subject. And the mystery that, that lies before us in, in uh, reaching the world around us also lies in the subject. And here's what he says about us reaching the world. Us who he's already described. Here's how we reach the world. Look at verse 24 to 27. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. By the way, Paul was writing this letter. We believe it's one of the last letters that he wrote. He's suffering. And in my flesh, I'm, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. There's the, the mystery. What is it? What's the mystery? 
To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. He wants to make this mystery known to the Gentiles. Those are people who are not in God's family, all right? That's the world that sits around us. That's, that's some of them are in the church, uh, but, but most of them are in the community that don't know God. There's a mystery that God makes known to saints that he wants to make known to the culture that we live in. To all the people that live in this community that don't know God, and when I say this community, I'm talking about the whole community of Rapids Parish. The people that live all around us, work around us, uh, live in our neighborhoods, are in our families. God wants to make known to them the mystery. What is it? He says what it is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. How does this all tie to what we've been learning about God? Here's a golf club and a golf glove. I think I'm going to switch to this mic here uh, so I can... I wish that this glove would make me play like Travis, but it doesn't. Now, the glove by itself, if I said, uh, glove, swing that club and do it right this time, that's what it would do, right? That's what gloves do. Uh, gloves do nothing until something happens. When I, when I take this glove and I put something in it, namely my hand today, I put my hand in this glove. Now, this glove becomes useful. This glove is still going to take on the character of the person who's in it. So when I swing this club, <laughs> unfortunately, it's not going to look like it does when Alec Alexander uh, swings the club. Travis Alexander swings the club. Right? Alexander? I don't know why that... I don't know why. When, when, when Travis swings this club, when his hand goes in the glove, it's, there's a whole different thing that's going to happen with this club. Right? It's going to swing right, as in correctly. I'm not going to speak that on you, brother. It's going to swing correctly. Travis is a good golfer, by the way. All right? The glove is only going to do what I do because I'm the one that possesses the glove. My life, my hand is in the glove. All right? In the same way, this is what Paul is trying to describe to us. Christ in us is the hope of glory. Christ in us is the hope that the people around us are going to see the glory of God. The glory of God is just his character. It's who he is. It's the person of God. It's Christ in us that's going to let people see the truth about God. It's not going to be meaning, meaningless words uh, from us when we're not filled with God. This is what the gospel message looks like whenever Christ is not manifested in us. 
it does nothing. As a matter of fact, all it does is really confuse people. Um, they try to put it on uh, and put themselves in the glove and, you know, and say, okay, well, we're going to go try to do stuff. And, and it's confusing because they think it's supposed to be good and it's not. This glove is dead without the hand in it. Now, here's what's happened to the church at Colossae, and here's what's happened to the gathering place. We have been filled. Man, we've been filled. We have let go of dead religion. Dead religion is a glove with no life in it. We've let go of dead religion, and we have been filled with the person of Christ. We are understanding more fully every day how incredible God is, how loving he is, uh, how full of grace he is. We're experiencing the grace of God, and we're being transformed by it. And so there's no dichotomy between that and, and evangelism and reaching the lost in this community. There's no, there's no uh, separation between us being filled with God and knowing God in continually more deeper, uh, continually more deeper ways and, and having our faith grow more uh, by, by our discoveries of who God is. There's, no, there's nothing that, that's not separate from our evangelistic efforts. It is our evangelistic efforts. It's Christ in us that's the hope of glory. It's not knowledge in us that's the hope of glory. It's not theology in us that's the hope of glory. It's not doctrine in us that's the hope of glory. It's Christ in us that's the hope of glory. Here's the message we have to the world around us is that God is not who we thought he was. Can, can you admit that? Can you be honest about that? That God is not who we thought he was. I went to seminary and got a PhD, and I'm going to tell you, God is not who I thought he was. For years after I went to seminary, he's not who I thought he was. I'm experiencing God more every day. Uh, Had experiences with him this week that are so real and personal and for our body. This message and this, this theme for our body ha- that's happening now, it is what God's calling us to be and do. And, and it's, uh, it's such a wonderful way to experience God. But that's the message that I have to share with the world is that God wants to be that in your life. Because I knew what I was preaching today when we were singing worship songs today, instead of me just appreciating God for who he was, I was thinking, man, God, I want people in this community to be able to say those words and mean them. I want people in this community to be able to, to, to sing these songs or at least speak those words and they be real to them because I'm hoarding all of this for myself. When, when you in me with all this knowledge is what, with all this experience and knowledge of the, by truth, truthful knowledge of you is what the people in this community need. We have a, a huge task in front of us. And the task is this, continue to love God, continue to discover him and love each other hard. Don't give up on one another. Let God fill us and love each other completely and fully. Let God be seen in us and let the world in. Let people in. Be around lost people. Invite them to your house. Invite them to this church. Invite them to to life groups. Uh, invite them to your, to your parties. Go where they are. Be with them. Spend time with them. Invest in them and let them see God in you. That's the hope. That's the hope for this community.
I'm not saying we're the only hope, okay? There are people who are, who are filled with the Holy Spirit in every church in this community. But I am saying this is what we're going to be consumed with. Y'all cool with that? Say, oh, yeah. We're going to be consumed with this. We're going to ask God over and over again, God, how, how do we do this? How do we allow you to fill us so that our friends in every kind of walk of life can come to see your glory and want you? They're going to want you when they see you in us. That's it. That's the hope. All right, so let's pray. As we pray this morning, I want you to just think about your own life. One of the things I've been reading lately and one of the things I heard it a number of times at the conference is a church is only a group of individuals. You know, this church cannot commit to be passionate about winning the lost until you commit to being passionate about winning the lost. This church is not going to be the hope of glory for this community until the people in the church are consumed by this idea of being the hope of glory it's got to be you don't pass it to the person next to you we all have to do this and it's not hard man it's so natural we'll be talking about that over the weeks to come how natural it is for us just to allow the lord to fill the glove and to be what he wants us to be in the community so what would you say to god today this time of prayer is for you you're at your own altar What do you want to say to God in response to what you heard today? Are you going to go on with us in the next phase of this vision? Are you going to join us and be a part of this vision? Are you going to go wherever you go and continue to be a part of the vision that God has for the church, his church, the bride, believers everywhere? Just say to God today, God, fill me. You in me, that's what what the world needs. Thank you.